Okay, Mr. Vallenatos, welcome to our broadcast today. To begin, share with us a few words about yourself and your background. Thank you. Thank you very much, Michael. I was born in Kefalonia, Greece, and I arrived to the United States in 1961. So I have been in this country for almost 51 years. I got all my education in this country. I went to the University of Illinois and Wisconsin, and then I did postdoctoral studies at Harvard in the history of science. And I spent 27 years of my life working for the government, uh, two years on Capitol Hill and 25 years for the U.S. EPA, Environmental Protection Agency. And in that uh, period of time, I have um, written extensively both about America and about Greece, two books about Greece uh, and three books about the United States, and dozens and dozens of articles. So I'm trying to keep up in, uh, with both interests, uh, both the American and the Greek interests, and I visit Greece just about every year. And you mentioned, of course, your writing. You've written about a very diverse range of topics. And aside from your books, you've also written several articles about Greece, including one that was published recently at truthout.org, which was about the austerity measures that have been enforced in Greece. So to begin, let me ask you, what has the impact of these measures been, in your view? And you've drawn a parallel with 1840s Ireland and also another historical parallel with the Fourth Crusade in 1204. Yes, let's start uh, historical. Uh, in uh, 1204, you had a group of Europeans, crusaders, I mean, they were German, Italian, and uh, French. And they started from Europe supposedly to go to Jerusalem to free Jerusalem from Muslims. But by the time they arrived close to Constantinople, which was then the capital of the, of the Greek Empire, sometimes people call it Byzantium, uh, there was a pretender to the throne, to Byzantine throne, and he convinced the Venetians that if they found him and supported him as he became an emperor, he would just do everything and anything that they asked. So the Venetians funded this guy, and he eventually turned out to put him on the throne. But then once in power, he really figured out that the, the Byzantines or the Greeks did not have really money, enough money to pay the, the crusaders. And the crusaders met with a vengeance against the Greeks, and not only they took over Constantinople, but they pretty much conquered all of what was medieval Greece. The Europeans, that is the crusaders, took over Constantinople and they dismembered Greece. And in a sense, they became the route through which the Turks took over the whole Greek world in the 15th century. And that has been a calamity that the Greeks has, have never forgotten. And now that we come to the 2012 and we have the Europeans again and the Americans demanding payment for whatever debts that the Greek government had for the last 20 to 30 years, they, or rather I detect the same sort of violence in the process. I agree, if you borrow dollars you need to turn or rather to yeah to give back the money you borrow. But the way they do it, the so-called austerity measures reminds me of the kind of price the Greeks paid in the 13th century. I mean now I speak to my sisters, I speak to other friends I have in Greece and I visit often enough and I see there's hunger, there's homelessness, tremendous amount a number of people committing suicide because they have had it. And the Greek government is apparently ready to do anything, including selling all the public property for very little in order to collect the money to pay the so-called Troika, which is made up of the International Monetary Fund, which is an American institution, the European um, Commission, which runs the European Union, and the European Central Bank. 
So I think that the Europeans ought to really relearn or rather restudy their behavior towards Greece because the country is very small. They own their very existence to Greece. I mean, there would be no Europe without Greece. Even the name is Greek. So if I were for the Europeans, I would be very cautious in the kind of violence that they inflict on the people because the country, as I can see it now, the violence or rather the, the demand for this austerity measures is causing not only the external humiliation and uh, everybody, everything I read is all negative about Greece as if all of the Western world has forgotten completely their cultural debt. But there's also uh, an internal uh, implication inside Greece. I see that the debate within Greece itself is becoming rather violent and it may not be completely out of possibility that the country may resort to civil war. I mean, if this were to continue. So it's, it, nobody, it serves nobody's interest to really force the Greeks to the state that they are. They have to pay the money back, but they have to find another way to renegotiate the debt so that the payments can actually be appropriate and secondary to the maintaining of a kind of certain level of living and integrity and dignity. That's how I see it. The austerity measures, it seems to me, they are very harsh and uh, inappropriate for the civilized Europeans to do to a country that I think they ought to consider as their mother. I mean, <laughs> literally speaking. I know it's a long time ago that the Greeks did what they did, mathematics, the science, the whole culture, the art, literature, but uh, nevertheless, without the Greeks, there would be no Europe. And without the Europe, there would be no United States. So I think that both the United States and the Western Europeans are really guilty in treating Greece like an enemy, pretty much. I do really realize that the Greeks have a responsibility to pay back their debt, and the Greeks want to continue to stay in the European zone. Hopefully, that will become a, a greater union, so to speak, so that they can, in that way, pretty much take care of the Turkish threat. Uh, but at the same time, the violence within which this austerity is taking place, it's exerting, uh, I mean, the Greeks begin to remember of their German occupation, World War II, experience that literally wiped out the country. I mean, the Germans left and they destroyed everything, bridges, railroads, harbors. All the infrastructure, all the animals were killed. Hundreds of thousands of people were shot to death, and they, the country was just completely a wreck. So with that experience and knowledge, any intelligent European ought to figure out that this is not the way to treat a partner, especially a Greek partner, who's, who gave us so much to become who we are. Now, do you believe that there are deeper issues that are at play here in terms of the measures that are being imposed on Greece? Do you believe that the interests that are being served go beyond just supposedly reforming the uh, Greek economy? Well, yeah, this is one theory that there are external forces and they presume these external forces will come out of the European Union and America is to extract anything, any wealth that the country has and it has plenty of natural resources. The Aegean is loaded with petroleum and so is the Ionian Sea. But Greece has not even tried to extract any of this thing because of the Turkish threat. They worry entirely about Turkey 24 hours a day and the Turks are really, they know. I mean, they took 350 years in order to conquer Greece. So they're waiting. And this is why I found it so distressful for the Europeans to have forgotten the Fourth Crusade experience and what followed. So, I mean, this is the background, the historical background that is very disturbing. So if you also add up the possibility that uh, people, excluding the United States, are so desperate for petroleum, they may indirectly, through the banks, through this austerity measure, to force the Greek government to sell everything that they have, including all the wealth of the country uh, under the soil. And that's some theories. Now, I have no evidence for that. 
that, but that's a possibility. That's a real possibility. Now, you mentioned, of course, the Turkish threat, and it should be mentioned that this is not a hollow threat. The Turkish army and the Air Force conducts flyovers over Greek territory. They have sent warships into Greek waters, among many other things. And, of course, they continue to occupy over one-third of Cyprus. Yeah, yeah, 40% of Cyprus. And it was done, I regret to say that. It was done at uh, not the urging, but at least the blessing of the United States in 1974. I mean, Kissinger definitely allowed the Turks to go and do what they did. And the Greeks were hoping that the American fleet would have prevented the invasion. But nevertheless, they allowed them to take over 40% of the island to this very day. And the Turks went to Cyprus and they did exactly what they had done to the Greeks in Constantinople in 1954, where there was a huge pogrom. And they expelled just about everybody. There were 100,000 Greeks still left in Constantinople or Istanbul in 54. And then all of them lost everything that they had. They ran away. And now they are less than 3,000 people. And you have these violations of the airspace. You have also the another recent threat, which is that the Turks are making it possible for a lot of Pakistanis, Indians, Afghanistanis, uh, Africans to come to Greece through Turkey. And they go through the northern part of Greece. And Greece, because it's a civilized country and it also belongs to the European Union, they treat the coming illegal aliens with respect. So they feed them and they keep them some kind of dignity. But, uh, you know, the country is facing all these horrendous problems on its own. Imagine now to put all the burden of several hundred thousand foreigners who don't speak Greek, who have come to Greece perhaps to move to another European country. So the Europeans are not really behaving like they should do towards the, the Greeks, and uh, regrettably neither is the United States. And indeed, speaking about this issue of immigration, many of these immigrants that are coming into Greece likely do want to move on to other European destinations. But compounding the problem for Greece is the fact that there's a treaty, the Dublin II Treaty, which Correct. basically requires that any illegal immigrants that are captured in a European Union member state is returned to the country from which they entered. And then it's that country's responsibility. Right. So this is placing an additional burden on Greece at a very difficult time for the country. Yeah, yeah. Not only that, but the Greeks themselves are terrified by this invasion. Greeks, as uh, everybody knows, they are very hospitable. In ancient times, Zeus himself, the father of the gods, was the god of hospitality. And to this very day, people, Greeks, are very hospitable. So they don't treat the foreigners the way foreigners are treated in other countries. But they also realize they cannot afford to have all these foreigners. I mean, when I visit Kefalonia, most of the foreigners are Albanian. So you can walk in the morning, you can see them waiting to maybe be hired by the hour or by the day. Uh, it's extremely uh, hurtful to see all these foreign people waiting to make a living or to eat something. And this is just not appropriate. And of course, there are other. There's also a kind of a serious dimension to all this. That is, the people who are afraid about the Turkish war against them, they think that the Turks are doing this intentionally. They want to Islamize Greece. In northern Greece, in Thrace, there is a consulate of Turkey that, according to my information, it's almost like an independent country. I mean, they are running the show in northern Greece. And the Greek government, because of its weakness, because of its indebtedness, they have taken to be extremely polite or cowardly. I don't know how to define it. And they're doing practically nothing. So this is another threat. So people are worrying that uh, not only you're going to have a massive number of illegal immigrants, but the country may be again dismembered, just like the Europeans did it in 1204. So that's the historical parallel and memory that still exists in Greece. Now, in returning to the issue of the economy, we keep hearing about how the IMF and the European Union, led by Germany, have supposedly bailed out Greece. Is this money, though, actually even entering Greece or benefiting the country in any way? 
according to what I know, is that the money that IMF and the Troika in general gives to Greece is to simply pay back the banks, the European and the American banks that gave the money originally to the Greek government to buy tanks and airplanes and so on. So it's really unfortunate that most of that money goes back to the banks, which probably corrupted Greece in some way in the 70s, 80s, and 90s to get all this easy money in order to arm themselves against the perpetual threat coming from Turkey. And now, just like a homeowner borrowing too much, Greece as a country has borrowed too much, and it's under threat to lose everything, including all the properties that they have. For instance, this is just an example. The Greek electric company called the E, it's a huge company, and they produce electricity by the burning of coal. Now, some experts said that the E, this company, has so much coal deposits that if you were to make all that coal into gasoline, which is today in Greece costs 1.5 euros per liter, it would be the equivalent of almost $600 billion. And yet, the Greek state is trying to sell the E for $500 million. So, there you are. This is another, for those who might like to have uh, a conspiratorial perspective of things, or maybe the correct way of things, this is another way to put pressure on the country to sell every asset it has in order to pay back this debt. And some people say that this is part of some kind of strategic policy of some countries is to intentionally get you to borrow money so they can actually do what they're doing to Greece. And going hand-in-hand with the political rhetoric has been the media rhetoric as well. Greece has been harshly criticized in much of the international media for supposedly living beyond its means, or we've heard that the Greek people are lazy or corrupt, or that the country should meet its obligations without protest. How would you respond to these criticisms, and why do you believe that the media has been so harsh toward Greece? First of all, there's no doubt that the country does have corruption. The paternalism system put together in the 70s by Mr. Papadreou and his successors, prime ministers, it was like they created a kind of a client state that you do something for me and I will hire your son to be bureaucracy. So as a result of that, they, Greece has a huge bureaucracy, no, no doubt about that. Uh, the state provides these people with good living and they're doing very little, regrettably. I mean, the same thing at the universities, same thing at every public service in Greece. But that's a small percent of the total problem or the total cost of Greece. Now, the Corruption now exists everywhere. I mean, you, you don't have to go very far. You can only look at the military procurement system of the United States to, to understand the levels of immense corruption that exists, even in this country. So Greece is not, does not call the monopoly for corruption. Now, the only way I can explain this kind of attack from the outside is simply to, in a sense, degrade the country to the point that they are willing to sell everything to corporations, global corporations that will buy and the electric company of Greece, for instance, for $500 million dollars while it's worth billions and billions and that's the only way I mean it's, an, it's a kind of economic warfare taking place against the country right now and anyone who contemplates any kind of solution there have to be two points one is the Greeks themselves have to reform to stop abusing their own country I mean to, this morning for instance I was watching a video of people very wealthy Greeks who take advantage of the weakness of the government of the fact that they own a lot of money and they go and they build illegal ha- homes in 
public officials go and arrest them and bring them to justice, they pay double whatever fine it is, and the government gives them a legal paper that says this is yours. Well, that's infuriating the average citizen because the average group does not have that kind of money to build villas all over the country and put also a private enclosure in the beach where the water is. That is completely unacceptable. So this is the kind of corruption that the Greeks themselves have to resolve. But at the same time, they have to begin to look at what they have to do to be less dependent on foreigners. For instance, agriculture. Why should Greece import food? I mean, that's extraordinary. I grew up in an, in a, in a, in an agrarian society. My father fed us all well. We never had to buy food from anybody. We had our own wheat, lentils. We had a small group, a small flock of sheep, small flock of goats. So we had our own cheese, our own milk, and we had wheat, so we made our own bread. So we were self-reliant. You know, the, the sort of thing that Aristotle heard so much when he wrote his politics about the creation of a polis. A polis has to be self-reliant. And Greece can become self-reliant because it has not much land. I mean, 20% of the country's uh, fertile, 80% is mountains, but they can yet, they can provide for themselves most of what they actually have to eat. Now they import a huge amount of their food and that makes them vulnerable and that makes them, yeah, exactly that, vulnerable, very vulnerable to hostile interests. And we'll return to the topic of Greece's self-sufficiency or lack of self-sufficiency in a moment, but I wanted to talk for a moment about the recent elections in Greece. Lots of promises were made prior to the elections by New Democracy in particular, but Greek voters were also presented with a lot of scary scenarios if they did not vote for a supposedly pro-European party like Nea Dimokratia, which ended up winning the elections. How do you view the pre-election period in Greece and all of the this campaigning that was going on and this dilemma that was posed to the Greek people. And how do you view the results? Well, in, in May of this year, when the elections took place, the uh, major, two major parties, the New Democracy and PASOK, the so-called socialist PASOK, they have made all the promises to stay in the European Union and we're going to keep our promises and obligations. Now, what kind of obligations are they, were they talking about? They were talking about the obligations of the memorandum they signed with the Troika. The Troika forced this Greek government or Papadreou to sign agreements that they actually gave up their sovereignty. This is extraordinary. In other words, you would never have the United States sign off an agreement with Canada to give its own sovereignty away to Canadian companies, but yet that's exactly what the Greek government did. So as a result of that, uh, the discussion about that, the so-called left, Syriza, managed to get to be number two, number two party. But finally, in the second election, the other two parties joined together and they are running the country as, as we speak. So the idea is maybe if there's another election, perhaps this anti-memorandum government called Syriza will probably take over and they will shred the memorandum, as I think they should. <laughs> I mean, this is a humiliating agreement. No government that has any kind of respect for humanity or expects to be respected would actually sign an agreement like they did in Greece. And it should be mentioned, of course, that the parties that are part of the ruling coalition now, PASOK, Nelimokratia, are comprised of the politicians that were in power for the past 40 years. These two parties were the ones that were ruling Greece for the past 40 years. Isn't it a bit hypocritical to expect and to actually even, in many cases, support these same parties and expect that they would turn a country around when we could say that they are largely responsible for the country's problems? This is 
is exactly the sad reality and this is what causes so much fury, fury and, and, and grief in Greece. The very people who cause this trouble, who borrow the money, who are trying to sell everything that the country has, are the country who are still ruling the country. I mean, yeah, they are the parties that are still ruling the country. And regrettably, these are the people that the European Union and the United States want to see in power, which is why some people speculate that perhaps there is this kind of evil intent on the part of the foreigners in Troika is to grab the wealth of Greece. They brought the country intentionally into this kind of desperate situation so that they actually extract any wealth the country has. And the country does have wealth. It has uh, petroleum, it has gold, it has also very educated people. Very educated. The Greeks are very well educated. They just need a chance. I mean, I have a friend of mine, a friend of mine is a professor of astrophysics at the University of Athens. He was telling me that if he had the money of one football company, a football team, his students would actually be designing a spacecraft for the moon. His students are outside the physicists, outside astronomers, but they don't have any money. His research budget for last year was 1,000 euros. That's the level of what we're talking about. This is desperate. Now, a moment ago, you mentioned, of course, the fact that Greece is no longer self-sufficient in its food production. And in your writings, you've connected this lack of self-sufficiency to policies that have been enacted and enforced in Greece from the European Union. Talk to us a little about the impact of European Union membership on Greece and particularly on its self-sufficiency. Yeah, the agricultural, uh, I mean, the European Union has what they call the common agricultural policy. And they want to, like in the United States, they want to say that each country produces this and this and this so they don't duplicate, so they don't produce too much tobacco, too many tomatoes and so on. As a result, they have given, they are given subsidies to Greek farmers to move out of, for instance, having too many cows or growing too much tobacco. And regrettably, as a result of that, you have a lot of farmers that abandon agriculture and they move into the cities. Greek villages are becoming empty of farmers. So you have all this beautiful land with all these historic traditions of raising tremendously important crops from millennia. Now they're moving into importing wheat, importing this, importing that. And I I go to Greece and I get very upset because I like good bread, for instance. <laughs> and I cannot find good bread anywhere because they, they make it at factory bread. And my sisters themselves have a bad on making baking their own bread. So the, the, the country as a result of the European Union has lost some of its agrarian ethos and some of its agrarian self which I think is absolutely essential for political independence. And not only that, but also it's essential for good health and nutrition. And I believe, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, as recently as about 20 or 25 years ago, Greece was still self-sufficient in its food production, but now about 70 to 80% of Greece's food is imported. And you, you go to supermarkets in Greece, you see beef from Germany, you see onions from China. It's hard to find a Greek product in Greek markets. Yeah, this is very true. Though I come, I spend a lot of time in Kefalonia, and in Kefalonia, most of the food is actually produced in Kefalonia, except wheat. But but you're right, the grocery stores, the big grocery chains are European, and they, they treat the Greeks just like uh, the, the big grocery stores here treat the Americans. High prices, and uh, you don't know what you're eating, and uh, it's it, it, exactly right. You don't know what you're eating. While the Greek food is one of the most tasty and the best foods on earth, the Greek diet is also uh, outstanding for, in order to help us live good lives. But now, regrettably, because of this European connection, it's becoming not good for the viability of the village, which is the heart of Greece, and uh, good for rural Greece. You see that uh, it, it's really dis disheartening to go to villages 
to see them that uh, some of them are completely empty. <laughs> village I remember in central Greece and I could not find, I, I mean I did speak to some farmers but then I went to the elementary school and I discovered that not a single child, Greek child was going to that school. The child, the, the, that the school had four children from Albania and that was it. You know, it broke my heart to hear the teacher telling me in low voices, these are Albanian because, and I said, why not? Why, what about what happened to the Greek children? So their parents have taken them to Athens, to Patras, to Thessaloniki, to big cities. They don't want to stay in the countryside because of this kind of subsidies and because of other temptations that exist in, in, uh, in, in, urban, in urban Greece. And in your recent article on Truthout, you even mentioned how some of these deals might even not be in the best interest of the Greek economy. For instance, Greek olive oil, which is considered to be of a very high quality, is sold in bulk to Italy and then it is resold internationally as Italian olive oil. Exactly. Yeah, it's happening. Uh, it's happening in Kalamata with Kalamata oil, olive oil, and, and it's happening in Crete with Crete products. In fact, even the Greek feta cheese, regrettably, is being sold all over the all over the world, including the United States, as Greek feta. Despite the fact that the Greek government has tried desperately to get and kind of a how to put a trademark to the name feta, and they the, all the big manufacturers they violate that and they sell Greek feta. They say this is Greek feta or feta like. <laughs> even the yogurt, the yogurt. They, the Greek yogurt, which is wonderful, is being sold to say Greek yogurt-like. Or this yogurt is made directly Greek yogurt. So they, they don't have a good system to defend their property and their, their products and to organize better exports as they should. Do you believe that the Greek periphery, these rural areas, hold the key to Greece's prosperity? I think uh, rural Greece is basically the heart of Greece. It has always been. In ancient times, this is where democracy was created. This is where food and independence, this is where religion came up. The whole idea of urban life as we know it today did not exist in ancient Greece. And it's a new creation. So I think you have the more, more space, more people, and you have the opportunity to really turn the Greek economy around if you were to help the rural economy to prosper. And because you have educated Greeks, you need to have some Greek American or others to invest in our country and to create wonderful products. And also Greece is, because of its history and archaeology, kind of a superpower in culture. And that also, along with agriculture, could be the two poles around which a new revival, a new Greek economy could be created. Now that leads me to the topic I wanted to turn to last. You've described Greece as a cultural superpower. You've argued that its culture and historical legacy might perhaps be its greatest resource. Why does Europe and the rest of the world still need Greece and how could Greece once again reassert itself as a beacon of culture for the rest of the world? You know, the, the Europeans and the Americans are not taking Greece seriously because they have stolen most of the Greek culture past. If you go to any museums, uh, New York, Chicago, Los Angeles, everywhere, they are loaded with Greek culture. And so are the great European museum libraries. They are all full of Greek stuff. That so that uh, since they have stolen that Greek past, they don't want to see Greece revive. Number two, the Olympics. Take the Olympics for the Olympics is a, it's a, it's a pure Greek product of culture and civilization. No one can do the Olympics as well as Greece because this is something that comes out of their own history. And I mean, I wish the British to do very well next week, but still, the Olympics ought to return permanently back to Greece. And if without, without cultural superpower, that cultural domination, it seems to me, the whole idea of tourism can expand. Many more people can go, not only for the pleasure of being in Greece, but also of learning something about the origins of Western civilization which come out of Greece. Uh, so that, that's the beginning of something very big for Greece. If only the Greeks had 
understand that they have an opportunity right now because of the crisis to rethink what they have done in the past. And the economic policies of the past have been tremendously failing. So they need to rethink their own approach to the world. And of course, another cultural contribution that you've written a lot about is the Greek language, ancient Greek and modern Greek as well. In your view, what do you believe that Greece can do to promote the Greek language? And really, do you feel that Greece is doing enough to promote its language? Every university and college in this country, more or less, not every, but most of them do teach ancient Greek, and a few of them do teach modern Greek. The Greek language is at the heart of Western culture. Latin is a daughter of Greek, and out of Latin you have the European languages, including English. If you take English right now, 30% of its vocabulary is Greek. All the scientific vocabulary in the Western world is Greek, the medical scientific uh, vocabulary. Every, the educated Europeans understand that without Archimedes, there would have been no Galileo. Newton. In other words, the works of Archimedes published in the Renaissance triggered the whole scientific revolution in Western Europe, and therefore they have brought us to where we are today. The whole antikythera mechanism, a little computer that was created in Greece in the uh, second century before our common era, is it's, it's like a modern-like technology. So the Greeks not only had fantastic science, but they also have fantastic technology. So we have to, on the basis of that discovery, we have to rethink all of the Greek past and how much we are indebted to the Greeks, because the Greeks are really our leaders. If you take Jefferson, for instance, Thomas Jefferson, he worshipped the Greeks. In fact, a person I wrote my thesis on Korais met Jefferson, and Jefferson wrote him several letters, and he wished him to go back and to revive the ancient Greek traditions and culture. So there are deep roots of Greek culture in Western Europe and in the United States. It's just a matter now for the Greeks uh, that are in charge of culture, plus the Americans teaching classical Greek to get together to see how they can advance this culture for the benefit, not just of Greece, but for our own benefit. I mean, the United States is facing tremendous problems, cultural problems, political problems, and it's only because they have moved away from the Greek tradition of democracy. So that alone, it should be inestimable, of inestimable value to the United States and to the European Union. And of course, you mentioned the Antikythera mechanism, which is the world's first computer, it should be mentioned, yes. I felt. <laughs> One additional question that I wanted to address regarding the Greek language has to do with the fact that recently school books that were circulated in Greece portrayed a very simplified version of the Greek language with certain letters from the Greek alphabet actually missing. And there's many in Greece who feel that there's actually an effort to diminish uh, the Greek alphabet rather than to promote it and to revive it in many ways. Do you believe something like this is happening? That is happening, and it's happening for decades, along with the rise of foreign influence. For instance, 204, 206, the Greek government published a textbook for elementary school children discussing the uh, modern Greek history. And in an effort to get closer to the Turks, because the Turks are part of NATO, they are friends of the United States, they began to rewrite history to make it all that the Turkish occupation of Greece was not as onerous as people like me and others described. So the fact that they're trying to even simplify the Greek alphabet and the Greek language does not surprise me in the least. It's a persistent and consistent kind of effort to bring Greece, to make Greece just another little country with no particular significance to anybody. And that is, as I said before, because the Europeans and the Americans have stolen the best part of Greek culture and they don't want to have another revival in a country that created, you know, they created Archimedes, created the, the Antikythera mechanism, it created democracy. They don't want something like this to come up.
because their own tradition is full of Greek stuff and they don't want to have that country that created all that marvelous culture to again be, take any kind of prominence in Western civilization. Now, finally, you have spoken about the silence of many in the university and the academic communities around the world in terms of responding to the indignities that are being imposed on Greece at the present time. What message would you like to share with the academic community and with the public at large about the importance of standing by Greece at this time? Yeah, I mean, the, the European, the universities here, the academics, they teach Greek and Latin. They know the history probably better than I do, and they know how dependent they are in terms of political democracy and in terms of technology and science to the or to the origins going back to Greece. So what could they do? They could not only launch campaigns of letter writing to their congressmen and their senators, but they can begin to create a kind of philanthropic organization that will also include the Greek Americans to collect money to alleviate some of the suffering right now in Greece. They're homeless people, they're hungry people, they're people who commit suicide. And this is all because they have no money to meet their obligations. So what the country ideally needs is a kind of another Marshall plan. The plan that the United States so generously gave in 1948 after the Germans and the Italians wiped out the country. They need something similar. And the academic part of this ought to be the heart of it because they know the history, they know the Greek language, and they know Greek philosophy, and they know something about the significance of Greek big contribution to the development of Western civilization. In other words, we need a kind of philanthropic and cultural activity going simultaneously to help the country out of its predicament, which, if left alone, it can ruin the country completely. And that will look very bad, not just for Greece, but for the whole experience of Western civilization. Certainly, and hopefully we will see more support come, not just from the Greek-American community and the Greek uh, diaspora, but also from the international community at large in understanding what the country is going through right now and also why Greece is still such an important country to the world uh, at this present time. Mr. Vallenatos, thank you very much for taking the time to speak with us today. Well, thank you very much for giving me the opportunity to talk to you.